0: Welcome in. It's the BCJ podcast presented by the Holy Grail here on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. And Dave, our first watch party is officially scheduled Saturday, noon, at the Holy Grail Banks as the Cincinnati Bearcats take on the UCF Knights. There will be specials on buckets of beer. Come get yourself some lunch get a bucket of beer, watch the Bearcats take on UCF at the first Bearcat Journal watch party. And Dave, the first one's always important. We got to show the Holy Grail that the Bearcat Journal crowd can show up in numbers and make this a big deal. And the Grail's a big place, so we need you to show up.
1: That's right. And I, I was even thinking of, of making an appearance. Yeah, it's not I football. Know, I know how it's, it's not football, so... Maybe I uh, will not bring the team bad luck. Maybe uh, maybe it'll be a, kind of a reverse effect now.
0: <laughs> and I I think my wonderful wife might be uh, be coming with me. Uh, I I think Chelsea and uh, and Stu might be there. Dave might be there. All the dignitaries could be checking out the Bearcats taking on UCF Saturday noon at the Holy Grail Banks. Come and join us, like I said. Bucket specials get some lunch, and watch the Bearcats try to get an elusive victory away from 5th-3rd Arena. What was not elusive, Dave, was last night's performance as Cincinnati completely wiped out Tulsa, 75-44. to The first half left a little to be desired. I thought there were things they did well. Um, defensively, they played well. They did not shoot the ball well. They turned it over too much. In the first half, especially. But ultimately, they go into halftime with the lead. They come out in the second half, and they absolutely smoke Tulsa. And it begs the question, this is the last time we see Frank Haith
1: in Cincinnati, right? I mean, maybe, I guess. Like, what is your alternative (sighs) if you're Tulsa? Yeah, but that's a program at least with some history, right? to the tournament I think a couple times but yeah I mean it's I think those middle tier schools in the AAC just it's a tough go like you're you're kind of up against it to make the tournament and so if you make a move like that you know the other coaches are going to know who you're up against and that the AAC is not getting traditionally you know, any more than four bids. Yeah. And you're, you're going to have to break through that top tier. And that doesn't look like a super easy thing to do right now. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, sure. Why not? (laughs) Like, I mean, I guess at some point you gotta, you gotta try, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, that was, Kind of a tale of the whole, tale of the whole season really wrapped up into one game.
0: Yeah.
1: First half. That's what makes. Choppy. It made the first half of the season kind of so maddening is you, you watch that first 20 minutes and you're like, my Lord, coming off a loss, this is what we're, what we're doing. And then you watch the second 20 minutes and it doesn't look like anything you've seen all year. So you get hopeful, but then you're kind of brought back down to earth and like, well, if they can do that for 20 minutes and then do the total opposite for 20 minutes, I really don't know what to think going forward. Well, what we have learned
0: is that this team is consistently inconsistent. Like, that's what we know at this point. You cannot expect consistency yet out of this team until you see it for extended stretches – Right now, we're not seeing it for extended stretches. We're we're seeing it for sustained stretches at home more often now than we have. I mean, this is three games in a row between Tennessee, UConn, and now Tulsa that for most of the game, they've been pretty good. Or as good as they've looked all year. But you followed that up with a, a neutral site loss to Iowa. You followed that up with a loss at Tulane. Now you beat Tulsa. You're going into a UCF team that, that, frankly, you should be able to beat in Cincinnati, in Orlando. Uh, if the game was played on Mars without gravity, you still should be able to beat them there. Uh, but because we don't know from minute to minute what this team is going to morph into yet, it, it makes it, it does make it a little maddening following this team. It, it, it's, it, it's what I've labeled them. They are consistently inconsistent right now.
1: Absolutely. I mean, like I said, with, I was looking at UCF a little bit, you know, earlier today. I think they're nine and six as well. But I mean, they played nobody in the non con, like literally no one. And they started AAC play 0 and 3. But, yeah, I'm like, if we can go down to Tulane and lose that game, I mean, going to Orlando and losing isn't anywhere out of the realm of possibility. I think this Tulane's team better
0: is better than, than this Central Florida team, but I get your point.
1: I but, like, the first half of the Tulane game, while they probably should have been up more, they, were still, they still controlled the whole first half. And, like, using one stat as an example, dominated on the glass. I think they were plus 11 at halftime. And in the second half, just decided they didn't want to rebound anymore to a team that is minus 5 rebounding on the season, which is bottom 30 in the country. And, you know, just let them hang around, hang around. And then we went cold for the last four minutes, and they didn't, and they won. So it's like... How does just one thing so simple as that change so much from half to half? And it's just, like we said, it's just maddening. Like, I I understand the whole make shots offense, and they made shots in the second half last night. And that's something that comes and goes, and you can't control that. But, you know, the stuff like the still high number of turnovers, the rebounding thing against Tulane, it's just like, where, you know, is that just... I guess at this point, that's just kind of what we're going to have to live with and hope that the make-shots offense shows up way more than it doesn't.
0: Yeah, I actually, uh, Mark Adams, the, the color commentator for ESPN for the American, was, was at the game watching, and he was walking past me at halftime, and I said, hey, <coughs> if they run the make-shots offense in the second half, I think this team's going to be okay. He said, yeah, yeah. I mean, everything else is checking out. They're doing what they should be doing to beat this team, just not making any shots. And then in the second half, they made basically all of the shots and win a game by 31 that was, what, four at halftime? Six?
1: Right, four. Four. The thing is, though, like, with the games they're going to be playing on the road the rest of the way, they're not going to make shots every night. So how are we going to kind of scratch out those wins that they need to have when they're not making sixty percent of their threes, and you know slicing through Tulsa's defense like they're not even there, that's my kind of biggest concern. Is you got about what fifteen conference games left? Their average is to be a not very good shooting team. So, what where can this team grow? Where can this team get better? So that when they aren't making shots, and I'm not saying they shoot terrible but even like a mediocre shooting game there has to be something between god awful and not missing that still gives them a chance to, to win those type of games well I think here's
0: what jumped out at me when I, when I started combing through the, the numbers last night and I wrote this in the Brendel's Bites piece as my, my lead <coughs> 28 to 10 on the glass in the second half that that's one of the things Tulane missed. And Tulsa, I did it. I, I I have been so good. I've been so good about getting those two right. And I knew I was going to mess it up today. Funny, Jeremy Jeremy Rao from Fox 19 posted that, that he surprised himself that he didn't mix them up. And I was like, yep. I've infected the entire city into thinking Tulane and Tulsa are just the same thing. Um, Tulsa missed a boatload of shots all of their three pointers (laughs) and they only got three offensive rebounds in the second half. So that shows me that's a, a turning the corner and that's not a bad Tulsa front line. A has been around forever. Jariah Horan can get the, get on the glass. They've got a seven footer. Like that's not, you know, a, a pushover in terms of dominating someone on the glass. That's not a team that's, that's decidedly small. And Chris Vogt, Mamadou Diara, Trey Scott, even Jaron, they did a great job keeping Tulsa off the glass and really not giving them any if they were if they weren't gonna hit shots, their only opportunity was to get on the offensive glass and they got nothing. So that to me was turning a corner. Now you gotta go on the road and and, and sustain something like that against a Central Florida team that what they do have are some physical uh, guys inside that, that can rebound.
1: Yeah, I and mean, they can't shoot, so they're going to go at the glass hard. And it's up to to UC in a road game to because UC has never shot the ball well down there. Right. And obviously, each each team is different. Right. But I mean, have we scored over sixty in any game down there? Somewhat recently, I mean, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I know no more games in the 40s than in the 60s and 70s. So, yeah, rebounding and the turnover thing is still – I still don't understand. Because it's not like these teams are, are like, oh, man, UC turns the ball over like crazy. Let's pressure them and, and get – you know, I just don't get it. I, I, For the life of me, I can't understand how they're turning the ball over – Almost sixteen times a game,
0: yeah, there's not a whole lot of rhyme or reason to it because it's not it it it, it has no bearing on what type of defense is being played against them. actually it, the best they've been really was against Yukon, who tries to turn you over. It, it's almost like they're worse against the teams that just sit back and they end up making mistakes. That that aren't warranted. I uh, some of that I'm sure is overthinking and trying to be perfect, trying to do exactly what the quote unquote system asks you to do. That can get in your head sometimes. Um, and really, where I've seen it be the worst, and I, I've noticed this as the trend recently, you'll get a gauge for how good they're going to be at it at the at the beginning of each half. Yesterday, I think they had what they had four. In the first segment, they ended up with 10. or They turned Tulsa over six times, and it was a two-point game after the first six minutes.
1: Yeah, at one point, UC had forced more turnovers than they had points.
0: Yeah. But they weren't able to take advantage of it because they were just turning it right back over.
1: Right. We forced, like, seven turnovers and had seven points. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, they also forced seven turnovers, and Tulsa had six points. That's what I was right. thinking you were saying. Yeah.
1: Oh. <laughs> well, like but like in, no, in a normal circumstance you're probably up 15 to 6 right there. Right. So,
0: yeah, it gets frustrating. That's that's one aspect that when you looked at at John's system and I know people are getting nauseated by the word system. When you looked at John's history as a head coach, you knew there was going to be a dip in offensive rebounding because of the space on the floor that he wants to operate. Mixed teams were good at offensive rebounding because they sent three and four guys to the glass at all times. Guys well, 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 closer to the basket. Yeah, when you've only got two and three guys around the you know anywhere near the rim, you're not going to be as good as when you've got three and four guys near the rim. So we knew offensive rebounding would take a hit. I think we knew John's teams require a lot of shooting and that this was going to be an okay at best team in terms of three-point shooting percentage. Now, some guys have been higher than expected. Some guys have been lower than expected. But I think ultimately the smart money was on this team was probably going to be a little bit better than the 30% that they were at coming into the game. But they weren't going to be a team that shot 38-39% as a team. The one thing that's been an anomaly from, from what John has shown as a head coach, they've regularly been near the top teams in the country in assist-to-turnover ratio. And while the assist numbers are are getting better and going up, the turnover numbers so far are not going down. And And that's a huge part for the inconsistency on the road, Dave. If you can't take care of the basketball on the road, you're going to turn it over 17 times. You're going to put yourself in a position to lose to
1: potentially anyone. And that's, that's kind of my point is when, when the margin for error right now with this team is so razor thin and the expectation was and still should be making the tournament. I know it's going to be tough, but like, there are enough pieces to still make the tournament on this team. When, but when you're in the position that you're in now, where can you make improvements that aren't just reliant on having a really good night shooting? Because as we've seen the likelihood that all of a sudden, all of the guys that have not been shooting good are going to all of a sudden start making a bunch of shots in addition to the guys that have been shooting good, continue to shoot well, and we just shoot an astronomical percentage the rest of the way, where are those incremental improvements going to come from to coincide with hopefully some improved shooting where we can get these road wins that they absolutely have to have? Like, they might go undefeated at home. Like, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I... I don't think at home Memphis or Wichita or Houston is any better than them. But even doing that, you like looking at the rest of the schedule. You have to win the majority of your road games. Still, you can't just split the rest of the road game. Right. So, where can this team make those improvements that it isn't just well we're gonna we shot better and You know, those areas to me are the rebounding, which you mentioned, because they killed Tulsa on the boards in the second half last night, and that was one game after getting killed on the boards by a bad rebounding team in the second half at Tulane. So that, just like everything else, is schizophrenic. So, you know, rebounding, turnovers. If you're not going to shoot the ball great, don't give up 17 extra possessions. Obviously, they're not going to not have a turnover. Right. But in the two-lane game, if they had, I don't know the exact number, but I know they turned the ball over on, like, the first three or four possessions of the second half. So if they had 12 turnovers instead of 16, do they win that game? Right. Even going, shooting the ball terribly from the outside and not playing good defense and not rebounding in the second half? Like, those are things that, that are tangible, that you have some control over. Yes, you have control over whether you make shots or not. But we all know that plenty of teams have shot the ball great and lost, and we've seen plenty of UC teams shoot the ball bad and win. Right. And that's where I'm looking at this team like, yeah, they made more shots, and that's fun, and it was an awesome display. But if that's not sustainable, where can they get better? Who can – Pick well, their I mean... game it, outside of Jaron because he's obviously the the most important player. And when he plays like he played last night, they're they're gonna be tough to beat. Road, home, neutral, whatever. But where are those other guys that maybe can can give them a little bit of spark that can like Mamadou? I think has picked his game up and can can help them in some stretches. You know, getting in there and and getting rebounds and not being a total you know, black hole If they give him the ball offensively <laughs> Even though when they do There's no chance he's passing He just happens to be making the shots he's taking right now <laughs> I, think,
0: I think we've seen good things From Jeremiah Davenport lately um, One thing I know for sure Jeremiah Davenport is not Afraid to shoot the basketball He is, uh, he is Ready to let it fly the minute it touches his fingertips, which that's a good thing at most of the time, um, he's got a mentality that he comes in and he's not scared. And I think it's it's interesting. We've seen more comfort level with him in the last two games. He's been playing the three when he came in. With Mamadou kind of taking over the role as Trey Scott's backup at the four primarily. Now we're seeing Davenport move to the three. Um it's been difficult the last two games for Mike Adams Woods dealing with foul trouble in in both of those games I I think most of the calls against him have been ridiculous but he's an aggressive defender 60 feet from the basket and that probably is getting him in more trouble than it should but
1: right I mean, like, what's his, what's his steal rate Versus foul rate on those plays 60 feet from the basket.
0: It had been pretty good up until the last two games. But the last two games, it's burned him. For sure. Um, but I, I think, you know, one of the things that, that's critical here is You legit have got to get more on the road from both Trey Scott and and Keith Williams. Because those guys have been solid at home. Especially these last three home games. And when those two guys are are solid to good, this becomes a different level team because now you have Jaron getting back into form. Chris Vogt looking like <clears throat> right now, he's going to probably make an all conference team. I don't think it'll be first team. Pretty sure, right? I mean, he's shooting like 86% in conference play. And if you have two other starters that are a threat for double digit points, you know, 20 points combined in that area, they had 19 last night. And, and 15 rebounds combined. And, you know, Trey has been passing really well. Keith didn't turn it over last night in 30 minutes. Like, all of that stuff starts to add up when you get both of them playing well. And that solves a lot of the problems that you're talking about. Because then from your bench, you can just say, go in, play balls to the wall for the, the five minutes that we're putting you in there for, for this stretch. And make an impact on the game that way. And then when you come out, rest up, get ready for the second half, do it again. But Trey and Keith have not taken that on the road yet, and they have to if this team is going to reach their potential.
1: I mean, they have to. Can they, I guess is the question. I mean, you would think if they can do it at home, then they can do it on the road. But like you said, I mean, they have to – this team is not – good enough right now, deep enough for them to put up role-player numbers on the road playing 30 to 35 minutes a game. Like, it was great that Trey had, like, whatever it was, eight assists at Tulane. But he he's not points. out there to have a – he's not out there – right. He's not out there to make an eight assists. He's out there to score and rebound. Your starting four-man can't score three points when – when you're conference player of the year to that point is averaging 13. Like Keith can't go 16 in the first half and basically hang out on canal street in the second half. Like those are, those are role player things. Those are like, oh man, did you see what so-and-so did? He really had a big game out of nowhere. You know, he got those 20 minutes and he played great. And that'd be great if he could give us something similar to that off the bench. No, these are starters, and these are multiple-year starters. Right. You're not going to beat anybody worth a lick on the road with those guys having role-play-type stat lines.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, Keith was awesome in that first half. He scores two points in the second half. Trey has three points for the entire game. You didn't get a lift from either of them. When Tulane was, was closing the gap and coming at you. And you can't have that. And and, and you know, Jaron scored ten in the second half. He was doing what he could. But I, I still don't think and let, let's talk about Jaron for a little bit and what we saw from him last night. Um You kinda you kinda could feel this coming over the past couple games. He looked like he was moving around better. He looked like he was able to do so for longer stretches. And then when that second three of the back-to-back threes he hits, goes back rim, straight up in the air, comes back down, goes into the basket. It was like, all right, there's a good chance he gets this thing rolling tonight. And once he got it going, like that, that was Jaron Cumberland again. He was beating the defense off the bounce, getting to the rim. He was getting guys involved. He was making shots. He was efficient. It wasn't 18 points on four of 19 from the floor. And and if we get that Jaron Cumberland from here going forward, a lot of the other stuff becomes less relevant because that Jaron Cumberland is going to put this team in position to win a lot of games. Now he's got to show us on the road. Like, we're, we're still... And I know everything comes back to that, Dave, but that's that's what everything's comes comes back to for this team right now. Can they take the show on the road?
1: In every aspect. Well, I have very little doubt that they will win if not all all but maybe one remaining home game. But I have very little doubt also that they could lose I won't say every that would be hard hard to do, but that they could lose the majority of their road games unless we start seeing something different. And we talked about it last week, and they turned around and dropped one at two lanes So we're kind of like, we're saying the same thing. Like, can they take the momentum from the second half of the Tulsa game now onto the road? And I want to be optimistic. Like, I think there's a – there's kind of this delineation between being – like I've seen with some fans, like, if you're not overly optimistic, then you're just being negative. And I I I don't want to come across that way. Like, but show me – I need to be shown before I'm I'm just going to blindly be like, oh, yeah, they'll they'll figure it out because to this point – we're in mid January now. They haven't figured it out. They have no I mean, I shouldn't say no. They did win a couple games in that tournament. But like since November, they have no road or neutral win. That's not great. Since I, the Virgin Islands. I Island, mean I'm not right? I don't I don't think I'm being like negative when I I just I'm not optimistic and for the sake of just hoping. Like, yes, I hope that they figure it out, but I need to see guys not revert back to stuff that they've done in pretty much every road and neutral game to this point. So, you know, UCF is a great opportunity. It's not like you're going to Wichita. This is definitely a game that they can carry over from last night and, and keep it going. But I just have to see it because I haven't seen it
0: yet. Well, and this is what I've talked about over the past week and a half, two weeks. You start to see it in flashes early in the season. And that's all we saw early in the season was little three and four minute flashes. And then you start to see it in stretches where it goes eight minutes, ten minutes, twelve minutes. And then you see what we've seen Tennessee, UConn, Tulsa at home for extended stretches what's lagging behind is the second half of Iowa wasn't enough. The first half at Tulane wasn't enough because it's not 35 minutes of them playing. Well, it's 15 minutes of them playing well. And that gives the other team 25 minutes to beat you on their home floor. Like that's as this thing continues to build and progress and, and get more comfortable for everybody on the floor, the last thing to catch up is being very consistently solid on the road, away from home. You don't have your fans behind you. You know, for whatever reason in college basketball, home court makes a huge difference. Maybe more so than any
1: other sport. I think it does, especially when you're in conference play. I mean, yeah. The top end teams and i think we've taken it for granted like only the top end teams are winning the majority of their road games in conference play right those are even the elite teams good even good teams are going 500 right so it i mean that's kind of i mean it's like it's it's I, we don't want to, like, drill it down to such a simple and and mundane thing, but it, it kind of is. I mean, if they don't figure out how to <laughs> carry over what they do on the road or what they do at home to the road, rebound consistently for 40 minutes and cut down on the turnovers, there's going to be more nights like Tulane. They're just not – they're not a good enough a team – against the better teams that they're not going to be playing to to not have that happen
0: right i but i i also think that's to be expected and and what we talked about all along about when it would click so it's clicked at home i think we're 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 to the point now i think it's you know and, and they could very easily lay an egg at home and that doesn't take away what we've seen for how they've been playing at home since the disaster against Toothpaste?
1: Around, around the country, I mean, pretty much everybody's laid an egg at right. some point already this year. So they're certainly not, you know, immune to that.
0: But, but my point is, part of that, when it clicks that we've talked about from the day John got the job, is when it clicks being able to go into a hostile conference road environment and win a game. And and, and that hasn't clicked, And, and we don't know when it's going to click until we see it actually happen, and it hasn't happened yet. So that's just the honesty of it. Like, that's not making excuses. That's not being negative. That's not being positive. That's, this is how this works, and until we see that part of it work, we don't know when exactly it's going to click, right? Like, there's no crystal ball that says, uh, it's gonna take four games. And after four games they'll figure it out.
1: It might or, never happen.
0: Right. This year it might, I mean, it might not happen. But that's that's just an understanding of completely restructuring the entire foundation and core of the program. No matter how like yeah, they had Jaron and 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 Jaron wasn't up to speed when the season started. And then he compounded that by getting hurt three different times once the season started. Were those related to Jaron not making it through summer and and fall workouts and the, the start of practice? Probably. And there's a good chance those things are related. You see that all the time when a guy is out there that isn't physically ready to be out there, easier to get hurt. Now we're finally seeing Jaron coming into his own, which means now is really when the clock starts on what everybody expected from this team from the start. Because I uh, like the other thing that drives me nuts is, well, they returned their three leading scorers. Okay, but no, let's not act like it was Jaron at 18 points a game and then two guys that were both at like 14 and 12. Because Trey and Keith have shown this. Keith was really good last year for about 60% of the season. The back 40% of the season, go look at Keith Williams' numbers last year. I think there was only one or two games over the last 12 that he got into double digits. And Trey, we saw a lot of what we're seeing now. Flashed at home, struggled on the road. So to say, well, they returned their top two guys, uh, top three guys, well, one, Jaron didn't play like himself for two months, and two, guys two and three are are very good. Four and five guys, guys at the back end of your starting rotation, that that are three and four guys. But guys, you know, guys that can 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 be productive, but struggle with that consistency that that we're talking about all the time. So, th- to see where this team is now, it's kind of where we all, if you were if you were being honest with yourself, outside of the ridiculousness that was Colgate and Bowling Green, we would all be saying this is pretty much exactly where we thought. The problem is, right. I mean, they, I'll, screwed I'll a, they screwed themselves. They screwed themselves by that, losing saying, Bowling
1: Green and, and Colgate. That's They screwed themselves. Yeah, I mean, that's where I would push back a little bit in saying, I totally agree with what your assessment of Trey and and Keith. But my state statement would be that should still be good enough to beat Tulane and Colgate. Dude, I'm to Bowling Green and
0: Colgate. Yes, Tulane is not like it, people have this thought in their head because Tulane has been Tulane that that's still who they are. They took Memphis to the wire. They beat us. Like they're gonna be a team that they're not gonna win the conference. But they're going to be a pain because they've got one of the Lawson brothers. They've got a transfer from the SEC that's really good. Like, and Ron Hunter is a very good coach. So, the Tulane thing doesn't bother me as much because it's the first We're conference We game. like
1: eight or nine points with ten minutes
0: to go. And they crap down their leg. Like, I'm not making excuses for it, but I'm not, like, I'm not freaking out about that the way that I freak out about what happened against
1: Colgate and Bowling Green. Because those were well, well, inexcusable. Still, still, Tulane's still the worst loss by a lot, by the when you go by the metrics of the three. I mean, I've watched
0: those three teams play. Bowling Green didn't have their best player the entire second half, and Colgate was dead in the water. At least Tulane, it was an eventual, like a gradual, and Tulane took the lead with what nine minutes left. For the first time in the second half, this wasn't some collapse at the end. This was, they got going in the start of the second half. And then they played better down the final five minutes. Now, the final five minutes is something, the final five minutes in close games like that, we've talked about it. That, to me, makes me want to pull my hair out because for 30 years, that's where this team has has been excellent closing out final five minutes of close games, getting stops, and and scoring enough to get a win. We haven't had to see it, luckily, against Tennessee and, and UConn and Tulsa because the second half, they, they pulled away and, and didn't allow them back in the game. But on the road, this team has to find the, the, the mental toughness to close out games because we can, we'll, we'll take out Xavier and Ohio State and Iowa. But even in those 3 games if they would have been better in the final 5 minutes, they could have won any 3 any of those 3 games. They had the lead against Iowa with what? Like they pulled all the way back yeah. took the lead with 3 or 4 minutes left. They had the lead against Tul- uh, Tulane with 405 to go, I think was the last basket the, the vote layup to put them up 2. So just over what they were up on, on Bowling Green, ten with with well, three minutes left. Yeah. they were up we're eight, eight with three three minutes left or whatever it was. Like that, that's the part really on the road where they're gonna have to figure out like we got to dig down and figure out how to win this game. And and I, I'm sure some of it is not having Jaron where he needed to be. Because you didn't have anybody you could really give it to and say, "Go get me a bucket." You know, neither of the point guards can do that. If Jaron can't do it, we know Javen is is much more of a spot shooter. Keith is not a guy you want dribbling more than twice, three times, especially going towards the rim. And you can't really have a center be your go-to guy if he, you know throwing him the ball is not going to solve all your problems. So I, I think that's a big part of it, but it's also, like we've said, it's been defense, it's been rebounding. It's been not being able to get buckets. I mean, what, Tulane finished on a 9-2 to two stretch to end that game? Like, that, that's just stuff we're not used to seeing, and I think that's what's been so hard for everybody to get their brain around because that's just, it, it hasn't, that's not what UC basketball has been about. And watching it happen makes you want to gouge your eyeballs out, right?
1: Right. I mean, uh, you know, we're not going to turn this into a past, current thing. But, like, there were things that we could always count on, some good, some bad. And when those good things go absent, that's, I guess, what frustrates you because you you look at – Especially the key guys, you shouldn't forget how to do those things, just because you got a new coach. Like, you shouldn't forget to block out the backside on the rebound against Tulane, just because Nick's not here and John is. Right. I don't think John, I don't think John devalues rebounding. <laughs> so it's, it's not like, you know, he's telling them to do something totally different in in regards to turning the ball over rebounding and playing defense like the defense in and of itself is different but the the level of importance doesn't seem to be i mean we've heard countless times 70 percent of our time is spent on defense yeah well you've seen these breakdowns so something's not clicking something's not translating like you said like if i spent that much time on my short game in golf and then went out and three putted every green. People would be like, "Well, stop telling me how much time you're spending on your short game because it's clearly not working." Well, I mean, that is what happens, though, right? No, I'm a very good putter.
0: <laughs> so it's your that's, it's your it's your, not, it's your middle range game that you work
1: on. That that's that's not my problem. Well, it's, <laughs> and the seven eight beers I drink, you know, but whatever. But <laughs> um, I, I, you, 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 I mean, I mean.
0: I'm not here making excuses. I'm just trying to talk through oh, know, what we're seeing. Oh, I know you're not. I know, but anyone it to come off that way. I'm just trying to talk through what I'm seeing and, and what I'm, you know, what I'm, I'm piecing together in my brain as I'm watching it happen. That's all. Yeah. I mean,
1: there's obviously you can know, go from what they did in the first half last night to the second half if you're not. A good team, like, good teams don't... Everybody can have a bad half, and then you have a great half. But, like, can we get maybe more more of the middle ground? of, (laughs) You know, not a disaster, but not, like, the greatest half of the season? Well, I
0: mean, that's what the first half yesterday was. It wasn't a disaster. They were winning. It was
1: pretty bad. They didn't... I... I mean, they scored 28 points, had 10 turnovers... And we're eleven for twenty nine from the field, yeah that's pretty, bad. <laughs> that's pretty bad like i in- in full transparency, I didn't even really watch much of the second half. I watched Jeopardy, Game of Champions or whatever it's greatest of all time, or whatever they're calling it because I was like that first half was gross, and I don't want to watch another half of that. and Obviously, me not watching was the reason they played so great, so maybe I shouldn't go to the watch party. I'm going to have to kick
0: you out of uh, the Holy Grail at halftime, aren't
1: I? <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like, Can we just get something maybe in between those two things? That'll win you a lot of games. Yeah. Especially in this league. like I think there's a couple good teams, but – I don't think the league is anywhere near as good as it as people were making it out to be at the beginning of the year.
0: No, I think the the surprise being Wichita State is probably
1: the best team in the conference. I mean, I'm not. Oh, they still have some, even without Wiseman, I they're still pretty darn good. Oh, yeah, but they're but those two teams, I think, and Houston are, I don't know, I still don't know about them. I think they're not bad with parts like they did, you know. But no, I mean, the key, for, not, them is, the
0: key for them is the clearly going to be the development of Caleb Mills.
1: Yeah, I think they had the shooting that they did last year to kind of bury teams when they would get a little bit of a lead and then hit that accelerator and, and turn a six-point oh, lead, yeah. lead and a 12-point lead and pretty much end it. I think two, Temple came back on them – didn't win, but they came back on him after Houston pretty much was dominating the whole game the other night. I but do even, love, even love some Caleb Mills, Houston, Houston, Even if you count Houston, none of those teams are like, oh my God, they're nowhere near as good as you and seen Houston was last year. No, or the year before. Right. So, and we've seen Cincinnati you're
0: not, play with, like, we've seen Cincinnati on the road play with Ohio State, Xavier, and neutral Iowa. Those three teams would be probably the best three teams in the American right now.
1: Maybe uh, two of the three at least. I mean, I would put Memphis somewhere in there. Around Xavier, yeah. Um, but so they're not they're not buried by any sense of the imagination. But the the problem is is you just can't can't afford any more of these mind-numbing losses, and your wins aren't going to be as good as we maybe thought at the beginning of the year. So you're just going to have to stack quantity because you're not going to get the quality. So you you can really only, because of what's already happened, and yes, every team on the bubble has bad losses. Like, that's why you're on the bubble. But at some point it becomes a counting mechanism, which I kind of hate but that's what it is. So realistically, they've only got about four more losses in them to have a shot. Yeah. Because you get get to 10, 11, 12, then you start looking at Paul. Yeah, they got 12 losses, and three of them are to, you know, plus 150 Ken Palm team. Right. Assuming that they don't have any more bad losses the rest of the way. Then, you go, then you're starting to look at, okay, well, yeah, this team in the ACC or the Big Ten, they lost 12 games, but look at all their losses were to league teams and, and were in the top 80. Right. So we have about four losses left in them.
0: And with 16 games left, that makes it very difficult. And it means that they're going to yeah. have to figure it out on the road real quick. And that includes, starting Saturday, join us at the Holy Grail Banks. We'll be there to watch the game at noon. That includes this Saturday against Central Florida. And then, later in the week, at Memphis. Because they missed their opportunity to go 4-0 and in this stretch and, and really get rolling with the Tulane loss. Now, that's not to say Memphis is a must-win. But,
1: well, realistically, if you looked at it at the beginning of the season, you probably chalked that one up as a probable loss. Yes. And right so. It, now, given the circumstances that they're now faced, it's not a must-win, but it just – I mean, you lose that. There's there's one out of four to six chances to add a, a real, actual, good win the rest of the West. As hard as it is going to be to get it. I mean, you can't squander those very few – Chances that they have. Very true, my friend.
0: Anything else on basketball?
1: I don't think so.
0: Any, anything on football you want to talk about?
1: Um, I don't know. Is there anything we need to talk about?
0: Not really. Luke Vickle's not, not the head coach at uh, Mississippi,
1: Mississippi State. Mississippi State? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm stunned. Uh, I feel like such a natural
0: fit. <laughs> now now he, he, he could be the next head coach at Baylor. He could be the next head, or, head coach you, you know, at Washington State. Washington
1: State. I mean, Pullman, Washington. Waco, Texas. Screams, screams Fickle family. Yeah. I think the only
0: scare here is what if Amy Fickle is a big fan of fixer-upper? And she wants a chip in Joanna Gaines' house. Then we could be in trouble. Could be. Maybe she really likes shiplap. Could really be in trouble. Um, Yeah. Because from watching that show with my wife, you can get a a pretty big house for pretty cheap in Waco, Texas.
1: Yeah, I've watched a lot of those too. Yes, you can. Apparently people (laughs) much younger than me are doing quite well financially in Waco, Texas.
0: Let's buy the house for eighty thousand, and and then we'll have two hundred and thirty thousand to spend on Joanna Gaines redoing it.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, it it seems it it seems like you had mentioned it on the board that January twenty fourth, twenty fifth weekend is going to kind of be the sweet spot for visitors. Uh, and you know, prematurely, it looks like they have at least two high school wide receivers scheduled. We say that in air quotes because, you know, it's recruiting and things change. Yes. But uh, two high school wide receivers scheduled to visit that weekend. One is a former uh, USF commit. He is visiting USF on the 17th, UC on the 24th, Virginia on the 31st. And then the other is uh, from the state of Alabama, and it looks like it might be a U.C. Arkansas State type of deal. Now, there is probably no chance they would take both. So well, it's I think that depends. That they... <clears throat> I
0: think that depends on: do you have anybody from that receiver room going the transfer portal here in the two, next week, you know,
1: two weeks? Transfer portal, and and are you? Do you feel like you are? We're never going to know. Because that's just the way that the the new incoming transfer transfer game is played. But do you do they feel that they are close or good with someone transferring right. in? Um, but yeah, so, I mean, really, they could take them both. And there, I I know that there's I'm not ready to make the names public, but I do know that there are so, even some more guys that they are. Well, I know uh, over the past two about. weeks,
0: I, I know they've, from what I've heard, they've looked at like seventy different receiver prospects from high school, junior college transfers, whatever the case may be, throughout throughout the ranks. They have been evaluating every possible receiver they can they can get their eyes on. Sure. So, this is going to be a very fluid situation up through that that visit weekend. And anything that comes out right now could change. We've got a new article from our our new recruiting guy, Mick Walker, on Mike Petway. That's up on the site now. So you can check that out. He is the young man from Alabama. Uh, An 85 rating um, would be the, the number one wide receiver and the number six overall prospect in the 2020 class. They offered him, was it yesterday or the day before? Yesterday. Uh yesterday. And and set up his official visit for the twenty fourth, twenty fifth weekend. Um I I I get the sense he would probably be ahead of the kid that, that was originally committed to USF. Yeah, uh, Marquise Bell. Yeah, at this point. Um, but I, I don't think there's anything that's concrete in that that situation right now.
1: Well, and, and to kind of go off what you said, I—I I mean, I like all these guys. They all seem like great guys. But I would be pretty darn surprised if no receivers currently on the roster transferred.
0: I, I don't want to talk about names because I don't think that's fair to the kids at this point.
1: No, I, that's why. I'm, that's why I'm just saying, as a whole, just yeah. look at the situation. Like, look at who they're, what they're trying to do at this point. Like, there's just not room there. So, you know, just seems – it's just a numbers crunch. I mean, if you're a, going to be junior, going to be senior, and you haven't played much, and they're still recruiting wide receivers. Well, you look, know, your stats way.
0: the other day shake out to one major thing. This team needs to be more explosive in the passing game. It
1: abso- like, it absolutely blew me away. I thought it was wrong. Well, you have to remember, I, they I had was, three games
0: where they didn't pass for 100 yards or whatever it was.
1: So. Right, but I still thought it was wrong. Like, I was looking at red zone offense, and it said 16 red zone touchdown passes. And I was like, wait a second, they only threw 19 touchdown passes all year. Right. I was like, so only three pass touchdown passes went longer than 20 yards?
0: Well, even some of – like, you had the one – there were a couple where Alex Pierce caught a 40, 50-yard pass that was brought down at the 5 or whatever – you had the Trey Tucker one against Marshall, where he went out at the one. Like some of those pl- pass plays got him very deep in the red zone. But yeah, they they were not making big play touchdowns at all on the season. And when that happens, you got to reevaluate your wide receiver room and say, "Look, we got to figure out a way to get
1: better." So it is what it is. You can't go like we talked about. You can't go from. 29.6 points per game to kind of the low to mid 30s where they need to be, which would put them in the top 30 nationally by being a power running team. You just it's not possible in today's college football. You have to be able to make explosive plays on the outside, and whether that's a 40-yard pass in the air or a 10-yard pass and a guy runs 50 yards, it doesn't really matter. It has to change.
0: Yep, and you and you do that partially through recruiting. And if you're not, if you're not part of the solution, might be part of the problem and it might be time for some turnover. I, I don't, I don't want to point fingers, but I'm going to, let's be honest. Joker Phillips did not stack that wide receiver room. Luke Fickle has made a boatload of awesome staff hires since he has been here. The former head coach at Kentucky was not one of them.
1: Yeah. No,
0: he wasn't. So, now with Mike Brown finished with his first full season as the wide receiver coach at Cincinnati, it's time for Mike Brown to put his stamp on this wide receiver room, is it not?
1: Yeah, this is the first time he's really been able to recruit. I mean, he came in after last season – so no one that they brought in last year was really, and you know, from him.
0: Yeah. Wow. Mo Egger is in for the watch party. Dave. Yeah. Gonna have to be, have reserved seating. He says the the Bearcats yeah. the Bearcats are six and zero oh, when he brings his daughter to the Holy Grail Banks to watch a Bearcats game. Well, Tony Pike was I can
1: a, off- extended an invite. I can offset that win percentage real fast.
0: <laughs> the first Bearcat Journal watch party at the Holy Grail Banks could be a star-studded event. We might have to have we might have to look into a VIP section. B- bottle service, the whole nine yards.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I want the
0: colder bottles of Coors Light. No, the bottle service for the kids. <laughs>
1: oh,
0: okay. yeah. All right, man. That's that's gonna wrap it up. I think we we touched the bases. I think we hit on pretty much everything. And, yeah. Uh, we will see everybody Saturday. The, the, as I wrote last night at the end of the 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 Brendel's Bites, Holy Grail has has made a a. Commitment to be involved with Bearcat Journal, to be a sponsor, the title sponsor of this podcast. We've never had a title sponsor before. We've had sponsors. They are now the title sponsor of this podcast. They've made a commitment to be more involved in the UC Athletics scene, which kind of slipped when they when they left the Clifton location. They want to be a, a a relevant name in this town when it comes to Providing for UC fans, they're doing that right now through us. And it would be big to us. It would be big to the Holy Grail. It would be big to everybody involved. If you could find the way in your busy schedule, because I'm sure it's a busy schedule. I've got, I've got, I I think we got lucky this week. Kelsey's game is at, Kelsey's basketball game, number one fourth grade girls basketball team in the nation. Um, Kelsey's game is at nine, so it should not be a hindrance. So come
1: out and join us. It's perfect. Noon, two, a couple hours, get some lunch, get some beers, watch the Bearcats. And then you've got the rest of your day? Do, yeah, exactly.
0: It works out perfect. It's not a middle-of-the-day game, a 4 o'clock game where it messes up plans for dinner or, you know, what, uh, whatever housework you've got to do or whatnot that day. It's going to rain. So you're not going to be able to be outside. Might as well be let's inside. Be honest,
1: you don't have you don't have better plans than hanging out with Chad and myself. So let's just be real. Like, and, you're not that fun. You're not that popular. Come hang out with us. And Mo. And maybe Tony. And Mo. And, and maybe think, Tony. And I think Chelsea and Stu are probably going to be
0: there. Like, all of the big names in the Bearcat community are going to be at the Holy Grail Banks with us on Saturday. And you should, too. That's going to wrap it up. He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. This is the Holy Grail BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com.